disability here with this. Just give us one second. We're trying to salvage some of the live stream here. So for those that are wondering. this scripture together here this evening before we go ahead and sing this next song. The next song we're about to sing, you guys will make your way. The next song we're about to sing says, talks about forever God is faithful and forever God is strong and forever He is with us. And so we want to read this scripture out of Psalms 136 verse 1. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good and His love endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for His love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his love endureth forever. To him that made great lights, for his love endureth forever. The sun to rule by day, for his love endures forever. And the moon and the stars that rule by night, for his love endureth forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, his love endureth forever. And he goes on to say, And oh, give thanks unto the Lord, the God of heaven, for his love endures forever. So we're going to ask you to stand tonight and we're going to sing that that exact line that God is faithful and God is strong and he his love does endure forever.
so fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord.
just as our prayer for we sing you're the sweet holy Don't you stay right here with us, oh, and filling us with your love, and for these blessings, and for these blessings, we lift up our hearts, we lift up hearts without a doubt, without a doubt. When we shall win, we shall leave this place without a doubt. For without a doubt, we'll know that we have been. Without a doubt, without a doubt, we'll know that we have won. One more time, without a doubt, without a doubt, we'll know that we have been revived. Father, we worship you tonight. We magnify and we glorify the name that is above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Lord, we experience your sweet Holy Spirit this morning. Lives were touched. Hearts were transformed. Encouragement was given. And your presence was made evident in the building. But God, we have come back tonight during this 6 o'clock hour expecting your presence, whether it be a shout or whether it be in the serenity of a still small voice, we are still coming in your house and gathering in your name to worship you so that your presence can inhabit the praises of your people and your glory will come down. Lord, the prophet Isaiah said, Lord, that you would rend the heavens and you would come down. That's what we ask for you to do this night. Thank you for every man, woman, boy, or girl represented in this building tonight, those watching online, those that may stream this service later in the week. God, let something that was said or done, no matter what takes place, God, technical difficulties, sound and media challenges, all of the above, they cannot stop the work of the Lord. And God, we want to say before we go any further in this service today, thank you for meeting with us in this house. You could have done anything, been anywhere, and chosen not to show up, but you did. And for that, we are eternally grateful. We should never, ever forget that it is not an expectation per se, but God, it is a humbling honor to have you in our midst and in our house, in your house with us today. So, God, we not only welcome you back to your house, but, Lord, we ask that you would be the same God we felt this morning. Even if it's in a different manifestation, you would speak to our hearts in this place tonight. And for that, we will be eternally grateful. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray and ask all these things and the people of God together said amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord just briefly. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. 
We're going to begin reading in verse number 32 there in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 and verse 32. Let me say to all of those joining online, thank you so much for being here today and being a part of our services. And uh, those that watched this morning, I know we had quite a few that watched this morning. We thank them for joining us this morning in church. Uh, We had them from Johns Island all the way to Oklahoma watching today. Uh, When I got home and checked the feed, we had people watching from Johns Island. And we had people watching from Oklahoma. So we had people all over the United States streaming in today. And no, no telling how many countless others may stream later this week or watch it again or uh, be a part of that. And so we are eternally grateful to any of our viewers and supporters on our online campus, if you will, or online church. We welcome them as well. Wish you were here, but we still welcome you nonetheless. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Once you have it, I'm going to ask if you would to rest on your feet just for a moment. I won't belabor long. We're going to just read this passage of Scripture to the end of the chapter. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, and of David, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith they subdued kingdoms, they wrought righteousness, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they quenched the violence of fires, they escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, or the the enemies. Women received their dead, raised back to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain an even better resurrection, meaning they were martyred for the gospel's sake. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, bonds and imprisonment. Some got arrested for believing in God. Some were stoned. Some were sawn asunder, meaning they were cut in half, if you will sawed in half some were tempted some were slain by the sword they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute afflicted tormented of whom the world was not even worthy of their presence the writer of hebrews said these men and women were the world shouldn't even deserve these kinds of people they were so devoted to god they wandered in deserts and in mountains They hid out in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, they have obtained a good report through faith, but received not the promise yet, which is the resurrection of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His return and the bodily resurrection of the sainted dead. They haven't got there yet. They're working towards it, but the full promise has not come into scope yet. But God has provided something better. God provided something better for us. That they without us should not be made perfect. What the Bible is saying, the writer of Hebrews says, but there's something better that's still to come. Even with all that just was said and done, God still has something better awaiting us on the other side. There's something still to look forward to. 
it's something to still get excited about. It's something to still shout about. There's something better than what we even have right now. No matter how good it may seem that's going in your world right now, or no matter how much money you have, what the prophet or what the writer of Hebrews is saying, there's something still better. We haven't even begun to describe it to you. There's something still better. So for the next few moments, I want to talk how to live by faith. How do you live by faith? See, Hebrews 11 and 1, before we pray, the Bible gives us a picture of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence. One translation says it is the confident assurance of things you've never seen. See, it's not easy. It's not, it's not hard to have faith in something I can tangibly touch, feel, taste, or smell. I, I don't have to have faith. That's just facts. There's a difference between faith and facts. You bring me an orange, and you sit in front of me and say, Now, Pastor, I want you to really believe that's an orange. If it's an orange, it don't take much faith to believe that's an orange. Faith comes into the equation when I can't see the PET scan report. When I don't know what the blood work's going to be after they draw the lab. When I don't know when the doctor calls on the phone and says, I need you to come in my office, what the conversation's going to be like. And even when he gives me the news, you got cancer, or you got to go to a cardiologist, or you got to go to a pulmonologist, or you got to go to the doctor. When I don't know even why I'm going through the season that I'm going through, faith is saying, you know what? I may not know why, and I may not know how this thing's going to end, but I know who does. I know who does. Heavenly Father, to the very best of my ability, help me to preach your unadulterated word to the people of God and speak in boldness and clarity what thus saith the word of the Lord. Let us not only be hearers, but doers thereof. Open our eyes, hearts, and ears to hear your word. Hide me behind the cross, take a cope from the altar of heaven, and anoint these lips of clay, and speak to your people today in the name that is above every name. Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. The body of Christ together said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Empowered to live by faith. Now, when I put this message together in thought and was working through it to prepare for tonight's service, I had no earthly idea that God would have a sense of humor. Because when I pray and I ask God to give direction on certain things and I sometimes thumb through files and maybe even sermons that maybe I have written before, maybe never preached them or maybe only did it one time but God wants them to be for a different season and I go through those things. I never know always, you never know most of the time unless somebody directly calls you, you never know who's going to be in the building at that moment. You just go by faith, trusting the Lord's going to send his word and it's going to accomplish the task it was sent to do. Here's the interesting aspect of this. Now, this particular illustration that I'm about to give you was not planned. It was not preconditioned. It was not rehearsed. This morning I shared with you that Miss Ann was not here today due to adversity with her breathing and some other things. And I told you this morning it was just the, the work of the enemy, doing his best to try to discourage her today. We prayed about it. Now, I'm not here to tell you she's feeling 100% better. She's still struggling a little bit. She's still got to go through some follow-up procedures. She's still got to see the cardiologist. She's still trying to figure out what's causing the shortness of breath. She, she still has some things of uncertainty. But when I finished putting the message together, and Brother Larry, I packed it all up out of my office, and I put it in the computer. Brother Randy and Sister Carol were here, and I put all the information into the computer, and I went back to my office to just kind of have Brother James a moment to 
just get my thoughts back together. I know what was on the paper, but I just needed to decompress. I needed a, a moment. Lo and behold, out of nowhere, she walks in the building. And immediately my first thought was, hey, Miss Ann, how you doing? I missed you this morning, which I said exactly what came out of my brain. My brain, sometimes it will say before it thinks. I just said it. She didn't say, well, Pastor, I'm feeling a lot years better. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll I, I tell you, I could run a marathon tonight. No, that's not what I got when the response. In fact, she said, I'm still not feeling the greatest, but, I, but Dennis turned around and came and picked me up so I could have somebody to ride with. See, before I ever even broke the bread of life, I, I didn't even put two and two together until I went back to my office for about ten minutes before church, and I thought to myself, now, God, you got a sense of humor. Because if anybody walked in this building today operating in faith, she did today. Because she didn't feel like it. She didn't have the energy to do it. She walked in this building. She didn't know what I was preaching on. I could have been preaching on heaven's sweet. I could have preached on hell's hot. I could have been preaching on uh, Samson, you know, fighting the Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. I could have been preaching on living your best life now. I could have been talking about your ten best steps to forward thinking. She had no idea, but tonight she comes to church and we're having to talk about how to live by faith. You can't tell me God doesn't know what he's doing. Can't tell me that. I didn't call her. If you ask her after church, the pastor call you and ask you to show up to help this? I didn't call her today. But if anybody in this building came at the right time, and I'm not just saying for her, but I'm using this as an example that God knows what he's doing because she still doesn't have the answers, Brother James, why she's short of breath. She still doesn't have the answers why she all of a sudden feels the way she feels. But one thing I have the confident assurance to say, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. I hope I start feeling better. And I hope I get over this thing. And I hope my breath comes back. And I hope my cardiologist's appointment goes well. I don't know what's going to do, but I'm hoping that. But faith also is the confident assurance or the evidence of things not seen. I don't have the O2 stat where I need it to be. I'm not back in the 95 percentile. I'm not ready to run a marathon. But if I can just get to the house of the Lord and operate by faith, when I get to God's house, all I got to do is say, the just shall live by faith. And if I can get into his house with the people of God and with the presence of the Lord raining down, the devil can play whatever tricks he wants to. But faith says, I'm going to be made whole. I'm going to be made well. I'm going to come out of this valley victorious. That's how you live. By faith. By faith. See, sometimes in life, we don't always have the I's dotted and the T's crossed before we have to trust in the unseen hand of the Lord. God doesn't always give us the panoramic view and the snapshot of what he wants to do. In fact, most of the time, he doesn't give us the whole picture. Because he knows if he gave us the whole picture, it'd probably freak us out so bad, we wouldn't do it. For an example, does any of you know that over the Easter season, Brianna's dad her brother went on this excursion to the Grand Canyon. They were going to backpack track for about seven days in through the heart of the Grand Canyon. They get on this trail. Again, they didn't have any idea where I was doing for a message tonight when they were talking to us last night, telling us the story. We were sitting over there. We were looking at the pictures. Now, Brandon and I just went about a month and a half ago. We saw the vast landscape. We took it from an aerial view from a helicopter. You cannot even, I, 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 I promise you, as much as I'd say, you know, Brandon probably would disagree, as much as it's great to see it on the ground and stop at each lookout point, I'm telling you ain't nothing like seeing it from an aerial snapshot. You can't understand the vastness of God's creativity 
where there's snow-capped mountains on top of you or the snow-capped plateau at the top. When you look in the bottom in the Colorado River, up here we're wrapped up like Eskimos in snow, but down there there's people in shorts and T-shirts kayaking all the way at the bottom. How did the snow not get down there? How did the atmosphere change in that situation? But, but, but it looks like somebody took a paintbrush and just painted the rocks because of the sediments and the clay and the moisture and the dry, arid air of, the day, of that area. Just, it's almost like somebody finger-painted this thing. Now, we saw it from an aerial view. Her dad and her brother was going to go down in it. They were going to see it from the bottom. They started on the trail. They get to a certain point, Brother Larry, that the trail was gone. It washed out. I'm going to tell you something. There's no cell phone service when you're down that low in the canyon. You have these little satellite ping devices in case you run into an emergency. They still ain't the best thing, but you hope they satellite something. They get there. One of their people that are with them ends up slipping and falling down into it. He finally figures out his way to get back out of the party slipped in he tried to go on ahead they get to a point where they got so bad that they had to make a decision in fact her dad said this very statement last night he said it really is not even a trail you don't have any markers you're just walking blindly in this thing that is a scary place to be walking blindly because it's very long and very big and very expansive he said it was a little eerie at first they had a decision to make turn around come back there was a certain point that brother Larry they were about at a point that if they went much further, they were going to run out of water. But to turn around was going to be almost detrimental. Not only would it cost them the opportunity to do this trip, but just now all the descent to go down, you now coming back got to go up to get out. <laughs> That's the hard part. Going down is easy. Momentum will help you get down. <laughs> it won't help you get up with 45, 50-pound backpacks on your, weight, or on your back with weight weighted down. Satellite phones there for a while. One night, her mom was trying to track them on this GPS device, and we heard nothing. No ping, no record, internet was down. We didn't know if they made it to the hotel. We knew it got dark, and they have yet to make contact with us. You can say whatever you want to and say, oh, God, God, hey, listen, I wouldn't have been worried about a preacher. God's got him. Yeah. Yeah, to you're there. And you don't have response. You can't call them. You can't text them. You can't, you can't get, it's not like you can just get a message to them. For 12 and a half hours, nonstop, they had to walk till they got out of that canyon. They got out, got to a hotel. They were able to salvage the trip to a certain degree. But I heard as he was telling that story last night, of course, he didn't have any way to know what I was going to be talking about tonight. But I heard as he was telling that story, him say that there were often times we didn't even know which way to go. We just had to walk blindly because we didn't even know. There was no marker. We were just walking and hoping we get to the spot. We, we knew where the geographic general area was, but we weren't really sure how we were going to get there. And when I was sitting in my office reviewing this message tonight, I remembered that conversation and I thought, but isn't that like life? Sometimes the devil will have us just wandering around and around and around and we have no earthly idea where we're headed. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll cost you more than you want to pay. It'll keep you in places longer than you ever intended to stay. The reality of it is sometimes the devil will take us on detours 
He'll take us on roundabouts. He'll take us on a side road. He'll take us down one-way streets. He'll take us down dead ends. He'll take us through potholes. He'll take us through mud. He'll take us through back roads. He'll take us through ravines. He'll take us through all kinds of stuff. And sometimes we don't have a clue where we're headed. But thank God that we serve a God who specializes in GPS satellite services. See, I, I preached a message a couple years ago at the Christmas time about the star of David over the, over the manger. And I called it this, GPS, God's positioning star. Because the wise men and the shepherds didn't know how to get there, but when they, the Bible said when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. They just followed the star. They just kept looking. Hey, wait, that star's looked that way. Let's go that way. Well, no, wait. That's, they followed a star. And when they got to the star and they looked up, it was resting over a place where the light of the world was laying in the heart of the earth. In a, in, a, in a manger scene. My point in saying all that is, even when I'm lost and I don't know where to go, I don't know whether to go to the left or I don't know to go to the right. I don't know whether I'm going up or I don't know whether I'm going down. Even when I feel like I'm on an island all by myself like Gilligan or maybe I'm all like uh, the guy on Castaway, I got a little volleyball just to keep me company named Wilson. I'll tell you one thing. Even when I don't seem to have a friend in sight, a person carrying the world, I'm telling you there's one that sits above heaven and earth. There's one that sits above the skies. He knows exactly where I'm at. He knows exactly what I'm going through. He knows where I'm headed. He knows if I'm going left, if I'm going right, if I'm going up if I'm going down even when I don't know the Bible said he knows the steps of a good man and a woman ordered of the Lord trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him he'll make your pathway straight for I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread I don't have to go to the left I don't have to go to the right but I can walk by faith and not by sight because even when I can't see it there's somebody who can navigate me out of that situation I don't have to see it because I walk by faith, not by sight. Because when I'm standing at that mountain and the gorge and the large, expansive vastness of God's creation, sometimes I'll look at it and think there's no way I'm going to get over that. But when I just keep taking one step at a time, before too long, Brother Randy, what will happen is at some point I'll eventually turn around and I'll look off in the distance and I'll think to myself, I just was on that mountain not too long ago. How did I get all the way over here? I'll tell you how. I'll tell you how I know that. I've done a lot of mission trips. One of them was into South Africa. I was about 16, almost to turn 16 when our church went to South Africa. We took a group with us. Johannesburg, South Africa, went about two hours south of Johannesburg to a place called Mapareng, South Africa. We were building a parsonage for a, for a uh a church out there and helping get some things done so they could get a pastor. In the middle of a voodoo witch doctor kind of community, it was not the best thing in the world. They had a place called God's Mountain or Prayer Mountain you'd walk up to. The, the view was, you can't describe it. And I did that as a 16-year-old boy. And I thought that was a pretty good task. I had made it up Prayer Mountain. I made it up to God's window. I had... I'd done something. Until the first time I went camping with Brianna's family. I never knew what that meant until her dad got on a trail. I thought, my God, they're, these, they're the crazy people from West Virginia that's going to come out here and kill me and leave me in the woods and nobody's going to know where my body's at. We come around the curve up there. I think it was uh, somewhere in North Carolina, 
balsam knob, some, I don't even know what they call it. She'd have to tell you, I, I, I was lost. I didn't have a clue. I could have found my way out if I wanted to. We start out down here. We park around this curve. I had to park on the street because we couldn't even park in the parking lot because so many people. Edge of the road, there's these two little stakes that just have little white spray paint on them. And he said, that's the trailhead. And I'm looking, that thing looks like it leads to nothing. He's like, no, we got to go to here. We walk. And we walk. And uh, we walked. You know what else we did? We walked. Her mom's carrying these little hiking stick little things. I don't even know what you call those things. Walking sticks. Look like little pogo sticks. I don't know what you do with those things. I don't know how falling's going to help me. It looks like that snapped as soon as I put it on the, tried to hold my weight on it. We're walking. We're walking. I'm looking back. I'm thinking, He's like, oh, you see that ridge over there? Oh, we're going to go over there. That's where we're eating lunch. I thought, my gosh, that's a long way away. Can we stop here for a snack and a drink? Can we stop here? No, no, we got to get there. We walked and we walked and we walked. I thought we never would get there. He said, oh, yeah, eventually we're going to make a loop. We'll end up down on the other side over here back to the parking lot. And I thought, oh, no, we won't. There never seemed to be a trailhead. There never seemed to be a marker. I never one time ever saw where it said, take a left. In three quarters of a mile, take a left. It never said that on my GPS. Of course, I didn't have service. I'm trying to Google how to get home, and there's like no data available, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't get out of this place. Let me tell you something. After a couple hours, we sat down on this rock. We were sitting there eating lunch, and he pointed off in the distance. He said, hey, John, you see that rock over there? You see that ridge over there? He said, yeah. He said, that's where our car's parked, and it looked like it was miles away. He said, that's where we started, but look where we are now. See, sometimes when I first look at my life's problems, it looks like there ain't no way I'm going to get there. But when I just take it one step at a time, I take it one moment at a time, one breath at a time, one minute at a time, before long I'll be able to stand on my life's mountain and turn around and go, you know what? God did get me here after all. He did get me here. I didn't think I was going to ever overcome said obstacle. I didn't think I'd ever come out of that battle. I don't think I would. I've heard people say it about COVID. Her dad, for example, same thing. We all, we had a scare with her dad battling COVID. He said many times, he said, when I was in the hospital bed, I wasn't even sure I'd ever come out. He said, now looking back on it, I still have some of the effects on it. I still get tired a little bit. I still sometimes, he said, but man, I have come a long way. And I thought to myself, you don't even know because sometimes the devil will make us look like we are on death row and we're ready to be sentenced to death. But God is the giver and sustainer of life and God can call us off of that bed of affliction and he can raise us up we have to remember to look back sometimes at the old ancient landmarks and go that's how far God's brought me from I've come a mighty long way I used to be a sinner I used to do this I used to do that but God has brought me a mighty long way I could be on my way to hell I may not be where I used to be but I'm telling you God's brought me I'm not a finished product but by God I'm closer to heaven now than I was before I'm going to make it praise the Lord because God has kept me and helped me to keep pressing on see the writer of Hebrews is writing to the church to encourage them during extreme persecution most scholars believe Hebrews was written around the time of an emperor by the name of Nero Nero was not a good man in fact if you go look at Roman history Nero was very angered by the Christians Rome and some of the areas had been besieged by fire. There was, people were setting these wildfires, if you will, trying to burn cities down. And Rome was accusing the Christians of this arsenal attack, if you will, using arson to combat them, even though 
Most of the time, it wasn't even anything to do with religious practices. And so when that didn't work, Nero got so mad, he, he got mad and said that they should be tortured because they were blaspheming the Roman gods. He just wanted to find a way to take them out. He'd torture them. He'd burn them at the stake. He would make them human lampposts. In fact, some scholars said that Nero followed the practices of many other emperors of the day where they would line bodies down the streets of a city. And set them on fire and it was like living torches that would light the streets of the city. But it was humans that were lighting the streets. And the apostle, which some people say the apostle Paul may have wrote this. Some people say it could have been another scholar who wrote this based on some of the lingo and terminology. But whoever it was, whether it was the apostle Paul or the apostle whoever, whoever coined this, they would have known that Rome was wreaking havoc on the Christian faith. And yet they, they write in this, if you will, book of faith, this chapter of faith. They write to these men and women saying, you've got to just keep believing in the things you don't see. Right now it doesn't look good, but you've got to keep trusting and holding on to something's better. In fact, I read it to you. He, he says to them, he says, God has got something better for us. We've got to hold on. There's something better than this than we're experiencing. Can I tell you tonight that if we hold on a little bit longer, we will experience something better than what we have on this earth right now. You see, some of us, many of us will have a Nero of our lives. It may not be a Roman emperor. But it will be something in your life that will try to destroy you, attack you, rob you of your joy, rob you of your faith. Try to do everything it can to stop you on your journey of faith. Isaiah 5 and 20 says, What sorrow for those who say evil is good and good is evil. The dark is light. Light is dark and bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What the writer of the prophet Isaiah is saying is, how heartbreaking it is for when people who think they're doing all right, they'll, they'll, they'll say sin is okay. They don't see a difference that dark is as light and light is as dark. No, that's not the truth. It is heartbreaking. I'm like the prophet Isaiah. It is heartbreaking. But that's the day and hour we live in. There are many men and women in this world that think they're okay with Jesus Christ because they said a prayer one time when they were three years old or five years old in some Sunday school class, but then they've lived a life for the rest of their lives, wayward from the faith. They're cussing, they're ranting and raving, they're doing things they got no business doing. And at the end of the day, they think, oh, me and God's okay. No, sin and righteousness doesn't stay together very long. You can't, you can't enter into heaven with spots and blemishes on your robe. Your robe has to be pure, not stained. It has to be white, pure, white as snow. But isn't that where we live today in America? Evangelical Christians, when they speak out against things like nudity, strong language, explicit sexual scenes, references, homosexuality, gender neutrality, abstinence, equality, racism, we all get labeled by modern cultural agendas by we're saying, they'll say the Christians are bigots. They're intolerance. They're biased. They're racist. They're un-American. We get labeled as the enemy. We get labeled as the, if you will, like the Nero did of the Christian faith. We're the ones that's causing the problems. You see, the Son of God was not tolerant of such things. In fact, he was intolerant in Mark chapter 7. Verse 21 through 23, Jesus called, said that all wickedness such as adultery and fornication, it comes out of the heart of man. 
In fact, that Greek word that he uses is a word called pornea, which is the same word where we get illegitimate sexual relationships and the English word called pornography. Jesus said it all comes out of a heart of a man. It's already inside of them. They know how to do wickedness. They, their heart is evil from birth. And they're in need of a Savior. Philosophers have stated for many years that those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat history. You see, we have, in this world we live in today, we face the same struggles, similar struggles of the early church. We may not be being used as human lampposts down the streets of town. But we're being labeled. We're being ostracized. We're being condemned. No, we may not be facing the same persecution, nowhere even close to the persecution the early church did, but we are by no means the favored-looking people in society these days. Everybody's not signing up to be Christians. Sad to say, but not everybody's looking for a church. Not everybody wants to go to a Bible-believing church where the Word of the Lord is preached. They don't mind going to church as long as I feel good. And you tell me I'm going to be good and everything's going to work out. But you start talking about sin or you start talking about hell. That's not the church for me. They don't want you to talk about where they live. They only want you to talk about how good life's going to be for them. We call it a prosperity gospel. But Jesus didn't die for you just to be rich. He died for you to be saved. He didn't die for you to be a millionaire. If you are, praise the Lord. And hopefully you're tithing to this local body. But he didn't die for you to be a millionaire. He died for you to be righteous and holy and live a spotless life. He didn't die for you to become some, some famous person in town or have the popularity. He didn't die for you to pad your statistics and tell Cleveland how awesome you were as a pastor in the church of my God. He died so you live right. That's what he died for. Too many people are worried about the eyes and the me's and the syndrome of how does it make me look. Jesus didn't die for you to look good. He died for you to have a chance to make it to heaven one day. He didn't die for your own selfish, vain, and narcissistic mentalities. He died so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. That's what he died for. I want to say quickly these things. How do you live by faith? One of the things you have to understand is God always uses a variety of people. He never does the same thing. He doesn't use the same mold every time. God's a, an originalist. He, he doesn't borrow some. God doesn't plagiarize. God doesn't borrow somebody else's literary work and decide, I'm going to write my words that somebody else said. No, God writes his own words. He doesn't need somebody to speak on his behalf. He'll speak for himself. God's a creationist. He's an originalist. He, he doesn't make carbon copies. He doesn't sit in heaven and say, all right, well, I want 475 out of this mold and just start making a cookie cutter mold. Everybody in this world, now some of us may share similar eye color. Some may share similar hair color. Some may share similar body shapes and sizes. Some of that's just by genetics, process of life. But everyone is unique because nobody has the same fingerprint that you have. You can have blonde hair. You can look like me as a kid. I got a five-year-old that looks just like me as a child. I mean, you put my picture and his picture side by side, you would think we were twins. When you put our fingerprints on a piece of paper, we don't have the same fingerprint. He's got the same blonde hair that I used to have. he got the same blue eyes I used to have. He doesn't act like me, but he, he, he dresses like me. Praise the Lord for that. 
sibling. You may have a spouse. You may have a child that has the same eye color. You, you might have a twin brother, identical twins. I mean, y'all so identical. Y'all dress alike. Y'all look alike. Y'all talk alike. You smell alike. You cut your hair the same way. You brush your teeth the same way. You could be identical twins, but your fingerprint will be different. Because God especially makes us like a snowflake. He's not going to duplicate it. He's going to make it fresh every time. How do I know this? Because in the book of Hebrews, the Bible gives us a what we call in the church world a hall of faith. And God tells us some of the stuff he does. He uses men. He uses women. He uses young. He uses seasoned. That's old people. For those of you that don't know. The longer you let something sit in a bag with the product you're trying to season, the better it gets. In fact, I bought my mom one time. She doesn't drink at all. But I found this pillow that I put on her bed one year. Uh, I worked hard for that money to do that. And I found this, this pillow. I think she was turning 40, I believe, at the time. And it said, I am like fine wine. I have aged to perfection. I thought it was the greatest gift I could ever give my mom. Absolutely. Because even though I don't drink, they tell me that the older it is, the better it is. In terms of you want the 1958 bottle of whatever. You don't want the 2015 that hasn't sat long enough. The older, the more seasoned, the better it gets. Like fine wine, it ages to perfection. The better it gets. I say all that to say this. See, one thing I love about senior citizens or senior adults, I call them seasoned saints because I don't like to call them old. Because old's just a number. That's just a number. You're only as old as you feel. You can be 30 and feel like you're dying. Old's just a number. You can be 80. You can be like Brother Barnes who's in his mid-90s and comes to church and is spry and as happy as a pig in the sunshine. I'm thinking, man, if I'm 90, I just hope I remember I have teeth. I don't even care about getting to church. I just want to make sure I can chew. Like, and don't have to have pureed food. See, Age is just a number. But but one thing I have learned about seasoned saints is this. They've been places that I ain't been to yet. And they can help me avoid places that they've been through that I don't want to go through. They can help me figure out, boy, you better not go that route because that's going to end bad. See, God uses young, old, men, women. Shocking enough, God uses various races, various ethnicities, various social statuses. Various backgrounds. He uses people who are determined to learn more about him. Through his word and fellowship and prayer and worship. Everyone he listed in the hall of faith. They all had different jobs. Let me just. I'm not going to read all of the scriptures. But let me just give you a quick rundown of some of them. He had men like Abel. Who were shepherds. He had builders. Like brother Henry and brother Dennis here. Some of y'all that are here this morning. I already told y'all. Y'all try to pie me in the face. For VBS, I'm going to build a building back here. I'm going to dedicate it. It's going to be the whatever mausoleum, museum, whatever you want to call it. These two men, I'll have them build it. I will pay to have a building built back there to try to save me from getting pied in the face for VBS. I'll take out a loan against my kidney but to get out of that guy in the face. No, I'm just kidding. But you have people like builders. These men, they can, they can throw up something in a hurry. They can piecemeal it together. They can figure out a way. They'll duct tape it if it doesn't work and say it'll hold. They'll figure out a way to get it to stay there. You have builders like Noah. 
No plans other than what God gave him and some wooden pegs and dials and a wooden hammer and going to build a floating cruise ship. I mean, it's the first cruise ship in the Bible. And he didn't even get to take a bunch of humans. He had to be with a bunch of animals. No wonder carnival cruises say it's like animals on that thing. No wonder. I understand now. You had people that didn't have a home. They were nomads like Abraham and Isaac. They just traveled everywhere. They just picked up their tent and went around. You had administrators like Joseph. who was over the affairs of an entire nation. You have educated men like Moses who got to sit in royal palaces and learn by the scholars of Egypt. You've got military men like Joshua who had led various conquests throughout Canaan. You have prostitutes like Rahab. You're not really the most upstanding person in society, but you know Jesus even needs you to. So that tells me that whether you're red, yellow, black, and white, rich, poor, got a good job, or you pretty much the scumbag of town, God's got a plan for you if you'll just surrender your life to him. He's got a plan. He'll use anybody and everybody. They all have a common denominator, though. Each one of them had to depend on faith. Noah didn't, have, Noah didn't get to go to engineering school or architect school how to build an ark. Noah got a vision, had to put it on some parchment paper and tell his three boys, hey boys, we're going to build a floating ship. What's a ship, Dad? Well, it's going to be this device that's going to float when there's rain. What's rain, Dad? Because we don't even know what that is. Don't misread the Bible. There hadn't been rain yet. They don't even know what rain is. The Bible said that the only way that it, the, the grass and things would grow was because there'd be a mist that would rise up from the ground. So Noah's saying there's going to be a rain. They're like, what is rain? Well, there's going to be water that falls from the sky. We ain't never seen that happen before. Daddy, where'd you get these plants? Well, I had a dream last night, boys, and we got to build this thing about three and a half football fields in length and about two and a half stories tall. Dad, what are we building here? We're building an ark. What's an ark? It's going to be a floating vessel on water. How are we going to move it? I, ain't worried. I don't know how we're going to move it yet. We're just going to build it first. We'll figure out how to move it after we get... You know, I know none of you guys that build are like that. But, you know, I've, I've in my lifetime, I've come up with great ideas. And I put it together. And when it's all said and done, Brother James, then I think to myself, now what am I going to do with it? Like, I, I, I got it here. All the pieces laid out. Everything's put together. And I think, now what? There's nothing more devastating when you work on a project and you get it right only to realize, man, I should have probably put that project over there. It would have been a whole lot easier to transport. I, should, I probably should have put the transmission, worked on the transmission in the car rather than having to pick it up to put it back in the car when all I had to do was put two bolts in it to hold it up. That's probably what I should have done. See, Noah don't, doesn't have, he's not been to school to do this. Nobody gave him a six-month course on how to be the perfect woodcutter and the craftsman and what tools you'll need and how to use this and how to use... They didn't have rulers. They didn't have tape measures. They didn't have chalk lines. They weren't out there popping a chalk line. Just stay straight. Pow. And watch it. You cut there. They didn't have a skill saw. They didn't have a table saw. I need a 30-degree... No, this was this was manual saws here. What are you saying, preacher? I'm here to say that God uses a variety of people, but 
But they all had a common denominator. They all had to trust the Lord because they didn't know what the end result was. They only knew what God told them to do. Abraham said, I searched for a city. I was a soldier. I searched for a city whose builder and maker was the Lord, whose foundations I know, you know, a city that's foundations I've never laid my eyes on. See, Abraham got told to go to a land flowing with milk and honey. Abraham didn't know where that land was. He just got told to go. That's faith. That's faith. Miss Carol, as you come. But here's the other thing. We'll pick up part of this next week. But here's the other thing I figured out in this story. How do you live by faith? Well, you know, obviously they had to take things at face value and just trust the Lord. But they also had another common denominator. Not only did they live by faith, but they all had weaknesses. None of them were perfect. Let's look at them. Noah. Noah builds the biggest, baddest, best boat. I mean, he doesn't need a Yamaha engine to to float his. He don't have to have a Honda turbine engine with nitrous boosters to get across the tail race. This joker floats all by itself. He don't have to have help. See, we want to go put our boat in the tail race. We better hope we got an engine because we run out of gas. It's going to be a long way back to the dock. Most, I mean, Noah wasn't worried about that. He's like, God will just take me where I need to go. After watching God help him build an ark, after watching God lit Rain fall from the sky, flood the earth, salvage the animals, bring them in two by two, and the seven clean and unclean brought them in by sevens. After he saw the waters recede and the dove fly out, come back and bring an olive branch to represent the peace of God, the shalom, the peace of God that God's got to put. The olive branch comes back. The waters are made from the earth. It rests on a mountain. He disembarks from the mountain. He looks, there's a rainbow in the sky. You would think of all things. After he builds an altar to the Lord to thank him for his faith, you would think Noah would be smart enough to keep trusting the Lord. He gets off the boat. He gets drunk. That's a good way to do it, isn't it? You just come out of your greatest miracle God could have ever done, and you get plastered. <laughs> Not exactly how that was supposed to go in the story. It got so bad, one son went in there and like, oh my gosh, dad's naked. He runs back out and tells his brothers, dad's not clothed. He's lost his mind. He's in there with no clothes on. The other two, they grabbed a sheet and walked backwards to cover his nakedness. And when Noah finally came back to his senses after the hangover laid off, the one son that went in there and basically made a spectacle of him, he cursed him two sons that covered his nakedness he blessed him but don't miss the moment God still wasn't pleased that he got drunk so what I'm saying is they all had weaknesses David was a murderer Rahab was a prostitute every one of them had a weakness but so do we the Bible talks about that in my infirmities and in my weaknesses that's when he is made strong when I am weak He's strong. When I humble myself, he'll do the exalting. When I submit to the mighty hand of God, he'll raise me up. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying in order to live and empower to live by faith before we pray, and we'll continue next week, in order you have to understand, it doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, and white, rich or poor, live in a mansion, live in a mobile home, live in a, a, a traveling little mini house on wheels. It doesn't matter if you're homeless and living in a tent on the backside of somewhere in Santee, 
Cooper somewhere. I don't know where you're living. It doesn't matter if you drive a Mercedes or you drive a Toyota or you don't even know what you drive. It's just got four different tires, four different hubcaps, and you got 16 different parts from various cars to put this back together. If you give your life to Jesus Christ, if you believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, it doesn't matter what your background is. doesn't matter what you may think you are or not. You can be dressed in a suit and tie or you got to come in here in blue jeans and a t-shirt. At the end of the day, God's got a plan for you too. He's got something for you to do. Because in order to live by faith, you have to realize God doesn't need me to be perfect. He just needs me to be available. I don't have to be perfect because we're not going to ever measure up to perfection. But we can be available. See, one thing I love about the grace of God, and then we're going to pray, is this. God uses everybody. Some people can play, like Miss Carol, beautifully. Some people can't play Mary Had a Little Lamb and make it even sound like the real song. Some of y'all can't even play the radio right, much less play an instrument. Y'all get more static on the radio than you do channels. Like, I don't know why this thing ain't working. Some people can play other instruments. Some people can be like Miss Sherry and Riley and some of them can sing, Miss Jennifer, some of them can sing. Some people, y'all sound like a dying calf in a hailstorm. Y'all can't carry a tune in a bucket. And some of y'all know people that y'all stand beside in church, and when they sing, you're like, I got to step two steps over because they are so tone deaf. I sound that bad just listening to them, and that makes me mess up on my part. Some people can't sing their way out of a wet paper bag. Some people can take a 9mm or a Glock, a Glock 43 or a Glock 42 or some Smith & Weston or some, you know, whatever gun, and they are marksmen. They can hit something yards down and hit it like that, like it ain't nothing. Some of y'all, y'all hold the gun, you'd shoot yourself in the foot, not even hit the target. You'd hit yourself somehow. Everybody has different skill sets. Some of y'all could take a car completely apart, not have to look up directions, not have to watch a YouTube video, put all 150,000 bolts on the floor, put it all back together, realize you got three additional bolts than you started with, and thought, that's all right, it's in there, it ain't going to hurt nothing, it's all right, it's back together, and have extra parts in there, and it works. Others of us, we can tear it apart, put it back together, and it'll blow up before we even crank it. Right there. Everybody has skill sets. We all have them. Some of us in this room, we can pray out loud, and it doesn't bother us. Some folks praying in public, anxiety, and just a certain aspect of just nervousness just almost cripples them. Doesn't mean they're bad people. They just, they just the public scenes are not their strength. Some people are like me. You can go into a restaurant. You're not going to get embarrassed. You're going to talk to the lady on first name basis. You're going to yell across the room at somebody else. Be like, hey, happy birthday. You don't even know who the birthday is. They're just singing. And you stand up and sing a happy, happy birthday. And you're going to be married to a lady like my wife who said, sit down and shut up. We're embarrassing me. You can be like me. You can walk in a parking lot, see her walking across the street. Be like, hey, girl, how you doing? And you, or you can be like her and lock the doors and drive off and leave me standing in the parking lot looking like an idiot. We all have different skills. But you know what? It takes people like me who are out of the box and nuts. And it takes people like her who may be a little more quiet and reserved. But it takes people like her too. Because I can preach right now and talk about faith and the healing power of Jesus Christ. I can come up here and pray with you. I can preach. I've asked her one time. I said, hey, how about next week you preach? And she was like, we will retire early. I'll, we'll quit tomorrow if you bring me up there by myself. 
I might can do all that, but you know what, Brother Larry, if somebody codes in this building, you know what? I am not the man. You better come do CPR on. Get me to do CPR on. I might know how to do basic first aid, hope you survive till EMS gets here, CPR, and crush your kidneys somehow or your intestines or whatever by doing CPR. And it's like, I think this is right. You know, do the, doing all the 30-second counts in my head. But you know what, Miss Nina? I can pray real good, but you know what? If somebody in this room drops, she better be the first one to go because she knows how to do it. Because from being a nurse and her medical perspective, I might not want you to die. But my best skill set is to come up here and pray for you because I won't know what to do. But she can tell if you got a pulse. She can tell if your eyes are dilated. She can tell if we need to put on your side. She can tell you if we need to clear the airway. She can tell you if you're having a seizure. She knows how to do that. See, we all have different skill sets. But we all need each other. Because when I'm weak and I can't make it, Maybe that week, Brother Larry's strong, so he can carry the load for a while so I can get back on my feet. How, are you, how, do you, how can you become empowered to live by faith? Don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. We're a team. We're a team. Some of us teach, some of us sing, some of us preach. Some of us do parking lot, attend, uh, uh, security details. So some people work the nursery. I told them in leadership training yesterday, if you let me do kids... You'll have less kids than when you started in kids' ministry. My philosophy of a good kids' ministry is like a dry cleaning service. Hang a bunch of uh, rotating hooks up on the roof. Hang the kid on number one, number two, all the way down. And when their parents come back after church, be like, what kid is you? And they say, oh, well, I have kid number five that we signed in. I'd be like, hold on. Hit a button and watch that conveyor belt just swing number five around. I'll pick them up off the hook. Hand them their parents that they had a great time in church today. That's my version of kids' ministry. Now, you probably never bring a kid back to that church. That's my version. People like Miss Sandy and Miss Jeannie, they'll sit there and color with them. They'll sit there and teach them about Jesus. I'm putting you on a hook and waiting for your mama to come back and get you and just hit a button and spin you back down. Now, you put me in a room with teenagers. If I remember that I'm older and not as young as I used to be, I can have the time of my life with teenagers. Some people, teenagers drive them nuts. I love old people. I'd rather go on a senior adult trip trip than any trip in my life. I love old people. I think because I feel old, so I feel like I fit in. I also love old people because they'll eat donuts with me, and they don't feel guilty. They're like, you know, I'm close to seeing Jesus anyway. Let's get a 12-pack. Let's, let's go ahead and get 12 dozen. Let's get 12, 12 donuts, a dozen. Let's just eat them together all in one sitting. And I'm thinking, that is my kind of version of heaven. Let's do that. I don't want celery and peanut butter. I don't want that crispy cream. I got a, tw- I got a box of 12 uh, a box of a dozen, 12 glazed Krispy Kreme donuts sitting on my desk right now. And I thought, when I came back to the office today, I thought, somebody does know the Lord after all. They brought 12 count of donuts in my office. I want to say this, all joking aside. We all are here to help each other make it to the end. Because the devil knows the best way to get you not to have faith is to isolate you and wreak havoc in your mind. But when we come to places like this, even if I'm like Miss Ann and I've got some challenges facing me, or I'm like brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so that may come to church and have some things going on in their life, but when the saints of God start singing together, or like this morning when one person comes up to be prayed for, but then the altars fill and we can pray one for another and we can love on one another and we can lay hands on one another, we can hug one another, we can... Something about my faith gets rejuvenated and I I feel like I can make it one more day. I can make it one more week. We need each other. 
As you stand all over the house tonight, here's what I want us to do before we're dismissed. We've prayed for people like Miss Ann and others this morning. But for one more time, obviously she's in the building, and so we're obviously going to pray for her tonight as well. But I want us to, before we pray the benedictory prayer and Brother Randy closes us out tonight, I want us to pray for each other. I know we did a little bit of that this morning, but I, I believe that sometimes it encourages us when we know other believers are praying for me too. When I'm not praying alone and I'm not just dying on my hill alone, but somebody else is like, God, you know what the preacher has need of? You got to help him too. It makes me feel better. Not dying alone. Nothing is more beautiful when, whether it's Brianna and I are praying and, and she prays and then I pray or I'm, or if I'm in a church service and I'm in the altar, Brother Larry, and I'm praying and I come down by myself and I kneel down, there's nothing that just kind of encourages me is when I feel two hands on my back. I don't know who they are. But I know somebody made a point of contact with me. And in that moment, Sister Beulah, they're at least praying for me. If nobody else, they took a moment to say, God, you need to be with them for a moment. So that's what I want us to do. I'm going to pray concertly, concertly out loud. But I want you to join with me. You may have someone standing around. You may know someone. I know we, Ms. Carol's got some things that she needs the Lord to touch. I know Ms. Dale's not feeling well. She's sick and got some things in her her, her body that she needs a touch. Sister Barnes has got some health issues. She's working through with some stomach issues. Brother Barnes is having some equilibrium issues again. Uh, Bonnie's got these tests coming up for chemo this week. We got a lot of people that need somebody to uplift them. But we came to the right place because we're here to do that. That's what church is all about, to uplift one another's burdens together. So can we do that together? Heavenly Father, we have come in this place gathered in your name to worship you again tonight but God we believe that your word is true we believe that you are the alpha the omega the beginning and the end the first and the last who was and is and is to come God Lord tonight Lord there are many people that stand under the sound of our voice that have needs there are also men and women who are not in this building that have needs that we know of people like sister Dale Clark with some health issues people like sister Barnes with some stomach issues. Brother Barnes with equilibrium. People like Miss Ann who is in-house with us, but God, they are battling various things with shortness of breath and sickness and other health issues. God, we got people like the Carlson kids who were not here this morning because their kids are throwing up and they're sick with some kind of virus. Lord, we, we they need a touch. People like Miss Carol who... Is so faithful and diligent to serve this church faithfully, but God is needing a touch in her body. People like Bonnie battling cancer that needs a chemo treatment this week, but then she needs her blood levels to level out and to, to be right so that she can get the treatment needed. God, we got men and women who, like Patricia Lambert, for an example, who's battling migraines, it's making her nauseous and sick, not feeling well. People like Andrew who was in Georgia attending a family emergency and really needs an intervention from God to dealing with a situation with his family that only God's going to fix. And if God doesn't fix it, it could end very devastatingly for the family. And God, we need an intervention. we got people in this building that know of families that have children and babies that are fighting for their lives and fighting for survival and fighting to make it through Life And so, Lord, we know that they have a touch and they have a need that they need touched in their lives. And, and they need a miracle working power. And so, God, we know you're able. We felt your presence this morning. 
We've experienced it. We've seen it done. We've seen you do countless miracles in this house. We know that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we can think or comprehend according to your riches in Christ Jesus. We know that you're able. It's just a matter of following through with our faith. Faith is the substance, Lord, of things we hope happens. It's also the confident assurance and the evidence that we know that there are things we cannot see that can still take place. Help us to be empowered to live by faith. Father, may you bless us and keep us and your face shine upon us and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance towards us. Give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding and guard our hearts. May the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. Our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer. For that we give you praise, the glory, and the honor that is due your name. And as you remain in the spirit of prayer, don't forget services on Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Bible study. We will still be continuing with a little bit of lesson on how we can impact the kingdom of God and be outwardly focused Christians. And next week we'll be back together to worship Sunday school at 10, worship at 11, and Sunday at 6 p.m. We're going to ask Brother Randy Erchberger, one of our council members here at the church, to close us out in prayer. And immediately following his prayer, you can consider yourselves dismissed. All of those joining online, God bless you today. Brother Randy, would you pray?